0: Chapter Eight of With the Anzacs in Cairo by Guy Thornton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Adam Bielka. Chapter Eight: The Turning of the Tide. I have stated that as the immediate result of the new and, for the most part, evil environment in which the Australians and New Zealanders found themselves, many of them cast off temporarily. The restraints by which they had been held in check in the more favored homelands those of us who were laboring for their spiritual welfare became however increasingly conscious that the tide of pleasure and sin-seeking which was at its full in january of nineteen fifteen was commencing to turn the undue pursuit of pleasure if that pleasure be a doubtful one invariably produces a surfeit the most disappointed of men is that man who has his lower longings satisfied. In all the strength of youth, with all the natural instinct for pleasure, many of these men become conscious that sin, and even pleasure, could not satisfy the truer, deeper yearnings of their better selves. They become less disposed to visit Cairo, and more inclined to go to the YMCA's in the various camps. On the 14th February, the ebb began men who had up to that time persistently and consistently avoided spiritual conversation with the chaplains and the YMCA secretaries began to welcome it one man expressed to me in somewhat quaint phraseology the sentiments of many when he at this time said
1: i am fed up to the teeth with cairo and the rotten life i have lived since i have joined the army i want something that will satisfy a man something solid I have taken particular notice lately of some of the Christian blokes. They may be wowsers,
0: a term applied to Christians,
1: but they have got something. I'm hanged if I know what it is. They are different somehow. They seem to be satisfied and not to act like us blokes. We go rushing round after pleasure like a lot of mad tomcats chasing their blooming tails and then meowing and grousing because they can't catch them. Look here, Captain, I feel now that what's good enough for them is good enough for me. How can I get it? It was an
0: easy matter to lead such a man to the one who alone can satisfy the yearnings of the soul. One afternoon, I was sitting at what I used jokingly to call my receipt of custom, which was, in other words, the chair in the YMCA tent behind the table upon which the stamps, postcards, etc., were exposed for sale when a Lancashire soldier came up and bought a half-piester stamp. He went away and in a few minutes returned and bought another one, and repeated this operation so often that I at first did not drop to it, that this was perhaps the lad's peculiar and original method of showing his desire of speaking to me privately. At length, noticing that he only came to the table when no one else was there, and lingered near it unnecessarily, I broke the ice by asking him whether he wanted to speak to me. Yes, sir. I just do. Well, what's your trouble? I can't speak to your ear, sir. All right. Come to my tent. We went to my living tent, which was, for convenience in my work, pitched next to the big YMCA one. As soon as he had sat down, he said, with tears in his eyes and voice, Please, sir. I do want to be a Christian Why? Plus sir, uh, my father and mother are real true Christians, mother it is. and Now promised them when I left Lancashire I would keep straight and won't swear or drink or go wrong. I meant to but when I got with the boys I couldn't say no I were afraid in laughter and a bit and a bit I got worse and worse and now I'm as bad as the worst. I want to get back to live like I used to. I'm fast sick of the lot I'm living now. There's naught in it. I don't know i to get back, for I've got a long way on the down track. Can't you help me, sir? It is impossible for me, a colonial, to attempt to reproduce the strong Lancashire dialect in which the man spoke, but I give the sense of his words as nearly as I recollected them when I wrote down roughly that very evening a record of the conversation. I replied, no, I can't. You can't? Then what I to do? You believe in Christ, don't you? Ado Then come, right now, to him. He loves you as if you were the only one on earth he has to love. He died for you because he loved you he rose again from the dead that you might know his sacrifice for you was accepted by god and therefore your sins if you trust him are forgiven and that he might be able to give you the holy spirit in order to give you the power to think right speak right and do right we'll cross do all that for me i swear terrible bod and i fair ashamed of my faults at toms. how can i let him do all that for me Put him to the test. Oh, would you believe me if I told you anything? Of course I would, sir. If I promised to do something for you, and you knew I was able to do it, shouldn't I have to fulfill my promise? Yes, sir. Look here. I turned up my Bible at those words of Christ in John chapter 10, verses 27, 28, and 29. Does not Christ say, I give unto you eternal life? To whom does Christ promise eternal life? To him heir and fall. Have you heard his voice? I don't now, sir. Have you never longed to be a Christian? Have you never been miserable because of your sins? Have you never wanted to lead a true life? Many, many times, sir. Are you prepared to follow Christ? It means persecution. Your tent mates will give you a rough time of it. You will have to let on whose side you are on. Are you willing? I'm a brant the strength to do it, sir. I mean to tell to other shops. I can't do it on my own. I know that. Now listen to what Christ says. I give To you, eternal life. That life is different from the natural life you have. It is a higher life, a life that has blood, strength in it. It is his own life. Christ gives himself to you so that you may win in the future where you have been beaten in the past, that you may conquer those sins which have conquered you in the past, that you may live by and in his power a clean life, Will you here and now accept Christ as your Savior, confess Him before your mates, and live for Him? I would, if only I thought I could stick to it. It is not you so much who will have to stick to Christ. It is Christ who pledges Himself to stick to you. I read verse 28. They, that includes you, shall never perish, neither shall any that includes you, pluck them out of my hand. Do you believe that? He promises to save you, if you mean business. He interrupted me. A do men business. Well, he promises to save you, and to keep you. Won't you put him to the test by asking him to save and keep you now? There in that tent... The man knelt down and accepted Christ's word at its full value, and rose, as his life afterwards proved, a changed man. He was the first whom, after six long weeks of an empty ministry, I had the privilege of leading to the Master. Two nights after, he came in, his face beaming with holy joy, and insisted on seeing me in my private tent. We were busy, but I handed over my share of the work to my colleague the Reverend Kenneth Miver, whose faithful service of love hundreds of our mounted men will remember, and went with him to the tent. I've got two chops here, as just like I wore yesterday. They wants to be Christians, just as I did. You tell them, just as you tell me. I can't remember exactly what you says. I am right thick in the head. He told me hurriedly, as we walked the few yards between the tents. These men, before many minutes had elapsed, saw the truth and became true followers of the Lord. Thus the work commenced, and before a week had passed, several more of the Lancashire territorials had made the great decision. These in their turn told some of their friends among the New Zealanders of the new and strange joy and power that had come into their lives and the results of their testimony were seen the following Sunday evening. I had been speaking on the three great words in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, grace, faith, and salvation, and asked all those men who really wanted to live the Christian life and were willing to pay the price, the delicite, quitting everything that they knew to be sin and openly acknowledging Christ to be their Savior, to meet me after the service in my private tent adjoining the YMCA. It was a little time before I was able to get there, as two men intercepted me on the way to ask me to help them in their spiritual difficulties. When at last I reached the tent, I, to my glad surprise, had considerable difficulty in getting in. Every available spot was packed with men. Four or five were on my bed, and the rest were perforce standing. For nearly two hours I spoke to them individually, and with only one exception, they decided that henceforth they would, by God's good grace, live for him who died for them. All the men who came into my tent were New Zealanders. Several belonged to my brigade, the New Zealand Mounted Rifles. Paul said, when speaking of the success which had attended his ministry, I labored, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. No true Christian worker can say anything else when God has been graciously pleased to crown his labor with an abundant harvest of souls. No man, however brilliant, however gifted an orator, however learned, can ever of himself lead one of his fellow creatures out of the darkness into the wondrous light, life, and liberty of Christ's bestowal. I have many times been asked to account for the wonderful ingatherings of soldiers into the Master's Kingdom, which I have been privileged to see in Egypt, and later in England, and Wales. I have only one answer. God was answering the prayers of his children in New Zealand, Australia, and Great Britain. I have been so conscious of that time and again, when so wearied in body and mind by my labors in the hospitals during the day, and in the slums, three and sometimes five nights a week, that I have found it impossible to have the quiet waiting on God, which is usually essential before preaching. I have felt certain that God would answer the prayers of believing parents and friends of these men, and never have I been disappointed. In tens of thousands of homes in New Zealand and other lands, prayer was going up for the welfare and salvation of these men. Is it, therefore, wonderful that God should honor their requests? No. To my mind, God being what he is, it would have been infinitely more wonderful if he had not. Although my motives in writing of this aspect of my work may be misinterpreted, I am conscious that, so far as I know myself, my one aim is to glorify the infinite love and mercy of the Great Father. In a ministry of many years, I have been conscious of what to a large number of Christians may seem a strange fact, Medela that I have never yet seen one case in which the person who has been brought into a new and conscious relation to Christ can trace his or her conversion to one particular person. Many do, or rather, think they do, but when inquiry is made, I have always found that, unknown perhaps to them, someone or some others have been praying for them. How many are the influences that God brings to bear upon the soul? The godly example of parents or friends, the word of the preacher, the silent voice of conscience, a text which has been impressed upon the mind by the Holy Spirit, the lessons taught in the hard school of failure, the yearning for purity and peace, the consciousness of some special sin. All these lead up to and culminate in that psychological crisis which we term conversion. One sows, often not knowing that he has done so. Another reaps. The reaping is impossible unless the plowing, the harrowing, and the sowing have preceded it. The reaping is the act of a moment. The preparation extends over months. The reaping men see and glorify if so be they are not taught of god to realize that neither is he that soweth anything nor he that reapeth but god that giveth the increase the faithful sowing few remark one man with the gift of the evangelist people are inclined to forget it is god's gift reaps largely but his work would go for nothing unless many others had been used to do the preparation all glory praise and honour be to God. The devil generally overreaches himself. He is wise, but not all wise. Hundreds of soldiers told me that one of the main reasons which led them to become Christians was that under the pressure of the temptations of Cairo they realised as never before how weak they were and how undreamt of until then were the possibilities of evil they discovered in themselves. That, therefore, which at first sight seemed to be a lure to the devil and sin, proved to be a friendly beacon, beckoning them to God and goodness. Let me give you a practical illustration of this. One night, a fine, well-set-up soldier of about thirty-five years of age came to me in the YMCA and asked whether he could speak to me privately. We immediately adjourned to my private tent, and I said,
1: "'Tell me what is the matter?' Then I may be able to help you. Last Sunday night I went with some of my mates down the fish market, perhaps the worst slum in Cairo. I have been what you would call a fairly decent sort of fellow. Drank when I felt inclined, but rarely got drunk. I kept myself fairly clean. You know what I mean. I nodded. Well, three of my mates went into one of the houses upstairs, and I sat down in the room beneath. I give you my word, Captain, I never till then realized what a devil I really was. I was sure frightened at myself. It,
0: the temptation,
1: came upon me so suddenly that it had nearly downed me before I knew where I was. I didn't know what to do. I felt all my good resolutions slipping away from me and nothing but low, mean, dirty thoughts taking their place. I was certain I should go under and then, like a flash, I said to myself, they say God answers prayer. I'll see whether he really does. So I just says, God, keep me from making a beast of myself. And would you believe me, Captain? In a minute, I had got something from somewhere. It must have been God, wasn't it? To think like I ought to. I tell you, Captain, I am afraid of myself now. I can't trust myself as I did. I want to get a power from outside myself into myself, so as to always listen, so that I need not be ashamed of myself. It was an
0: easy matter to lead such a man, in that frame of mind, to trusting the keeping power of a loving, living, risen Christ. Night after night, for weeks after, in fact, every night that I was not working in the slums, men used to come and see me, and, as I have said, sought to receive the power to live above the new and evil environment in which they found themselves.
1: End of chapter 8